Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host, Chris Caraggio. Hey, folks, welcome to yet another Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Caraggio, and we are so pleased to have Paul Keckley as our guest today. A lot of important stuff to get to. We're talking about the, the health of the healthcare economy. Just a little bit about Paul before we welcome him in. Paul is a healthcare policy analyst and an industry expert and a frequent speaker and advisor to healthcare organizations focused on long-term growth, sustainability, and advocacy strategies. Now, during the period preceding the passage of the Affordable uh, Care Act, he facilitated sessions between the White House Office of Health Reform and major health industry trade groups. He is the managing editor of the weekly Keckley Report, and a published author of three books and 250 articles. Previously, he served as the managing director of the Navigant Center for Healthcare Research and Policy Analysis, executive director of the Deloitte Center of Health Solutions, and an executive administration at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, among others. Now, Paul has also been an adjunct professor in the schools of medicine, business, and health policy at Georgetown University and Vanderbilt University. He completed his BA at Lipscomb University, his MA and PhD degrees at Ohio State University, and as a fellowship in economic policy from Oxford University. And Paul authors actually the public policy update for ACHE's own healthcare executive magazine. Last but not least, Paul will be moderating a session at ACHE's 2021 Congress on Healthcare Leadership in just a couple of weeks. Information, by the way, and registration is at ACHE.org slash Congress. Paul, welcome in to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Boy, you are like, I, you know, folks, you just read th- this guy, Paul, you're so accomplished. You were the perfect guest to kind of talk about what we want to go over in the next 20 minutes to a half hour. So let's just get right into it. Let's talk about Let's talk about uh, the healthcare uh, economy in, in the U.S. It, as it influences economy as a whole. Let's get that. That's that's your baby right there. So, can you just kind of set the stage for us in, in, in that realm? Yeah, I mean, there are all of the normal soundbite uh, answers, like it's nineteen point eight million employees, the largest single industry employer in our economy. It's 18% of the GDP. It's growing at 5.6% per year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, the way I think of it is that's kind of the chamber of commerce stuff, but at a very personal level, it's one of those industries like food that impacts everybody. Um, And it's impacted by the impressions they have of how it operates. And instead of a studied view of food is manufactured or distributed or finds its way to a restaurant or a grocery, um, it's similar in healthcare. We don't really know how the sausage is made in healthcare. We just kind of know our own experience with it. And that's been um, confirmed throughout all the studies of this industry that people don't really understand the system, but they understand their experiences with the system. And there's a big difference in those two things. 
Let me ask you about understanding the system here where we are now, because that, that was a little different maybe pre-pandemic, but here during the pandemic, how do folks kind of view that when we're talking about uh, healthcare and, and, and the economy of healthcare? Well, it's interesting. The, the public's view is that um, it's a private system and they prefer it that way. Um, and run afoul of those that are promoting Medicare for all or back in August of 2010 uh, when the notion of a public option and other things were being thrown around. Um, so the public thinks of healthcare as a big, complicated, fragmented industry that is very, very expensive and they bifurcate um, two big groups. They bifurcate providers largely through the lens of doctors and hospitals, some post-acute, and they then separately think of payers like insurance companies or employers, and increasingly their own role in paying out-of-pocket costs. And so this kind of uh, tandem of payer and provider is kind of the framework that most people have, and they think the payer knows about cost, they think providers know about care or quality or safety, but they don't think either knows much about the other, <laughs> which, which is kind of an interesting irony. How, how do you bring those together? How do you make you know, the one side more aware and the other side more aware? Are, are, we, are we heading in that direction? Did the pandemic, is that sort of a silver lining? Do you see that in the future, Paul? Well, it's, it's not a trend that's going to owe itself to the pandemic. It predates the pandemic that more and more the convergence of financing and delivery of care or this notion of payvider, someone that sells insurance and also provides health care, was becoming a very dominant theme, vertically integrated health systems. There are about 200 of those in the country right now, and they represent about a fourth of the healthcare system. So the idea is that um, if you're getting paid to manage care, then probably you pay more attention to preventive health and keeping people from needing a hospital or needing a specialist than if you're basically just paid to deliver services when someone is, someone tells you it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. So that's the mega trend that started pre-pandemic. What the pandemic did, interestingly, was kind of put a pause on that activity um, simply because funding was uh, shortened. Um, hospitals, conventional hubs of the healthcare delivery system were losing about $20 billion a month. So as a result of those losses, they were pretty hesitant to stretch themselves with capital investments in um, becoming insurance companies or um, employing more doctors or building out a variety of post-acute activities. Um, what that did ironically is expose the market to a new aggregator of all that stuff, private equity, private investors that said, okay, this is an opportunity for us these doctors that feel very insecure about the future, um, we'll approach them, we'll roll them up into larger groups and promise them a future. Um, so 
the new force coming out of the pandemic that it was accelerated was private investment by private equity funds and this new uh, vehicle called special purpose acquisition company, SPACs, that are really rolling up assets in healthcare to be payviders to both be insurers and deliverers of care. And that leaves the traditional folks, traditional insurance companies, and a lot of the traditional health systems kind of um, not so much in the dust, but playing catch up. Uh, some are doing it better than others, but that's clearly been a trend that comes out of the pandemic. It's understandable, Chris, um, private equity benefited from the downturn uh, in the economy uh, because it was coincident with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act where big companies had more money to invest in their funds. So private equity is sitting on $1.8 trillion to invest and healthcare and technology are two great places to invest your monies to get a return. And if hospitals and health systems are uh, temporarily disabled by the pandemic, uh, then they can step in. And that's exactly what's happened. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, that term pay vider, I believe, is going to be, be more commonplace as, as we move ahead. I'll tell you an interesting phenomenon. Healthcare as an industry um, does well when the rest of the economy is not doing well. Hmm. And healthcare does better than the economy when the economy is doing well. In other words, we kind of make our own rain. We create our own momentum. A lot of what we do is supply-driven demand. So if we build something, we tell people, you probably need to do this. Uh, we don't replace technology. We just add a new type of technology to what we were previously using. So healthcare's economy is um, not particularly as market driven as we'd like to think it is. It's been more internally driven. Uh, healthcare is in a collision course with the marketplace and it's affecting its economy. And, and that leads us to, to, to this part of the interview. And I know you, you, it, you're kind of going in this direction if you haven't gotten there already, but let me read this because uh, in a recent report, you actually made a prediction that healthcare affordability will, will replace the pandemic as a lightning rod for public debate. Um, and here's some stats. So just bear with me, folks, real quick. And then, and then we'll get Paul's take on this. In 2019, total health spending in the U.S. reached uh, 3.8 trillion. <laughs> it's a big number. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office projects it will increase to 6 trillion actually by 2028, nearly 20% of the total GDP. At the same time, four in 10 U.S. households can't pay their household bills. And right now uh, we're experiencing elevated unemployment rates, obviously due to, due to this crisis, due to the pandemic. And that's near 7% at, at the end of, of 2020. Um, so that's where we're, these trends uh, become uh, incompatible, I, I guess, is the best way to put it. So um, where are these solutions? You know, we're seeing the solutions, but, but um, and proposals for these solutions, I guess, where, where are they coming from? What, what's the best, what's the best outlook on that? Uh, a rule that began January one of this year uh, required 300 shoppable services um, to be posted in a machine readable format. So 
anyone could go online and figure out what it's going to cost you out of pocket for something. And a number of other rules have come down that say we need to make sure any negotiation between an insurance company uh, and a drug company or an insurance company and a hospital, that's public information. So one notion is let's just expose all of the darkness of the industry, its lack of transparency, uh, especially around prices, so that consumers become sharp shoppers. They are really keen to know what something's going to cost before they need it. So that concept um, makes perfect sense in a traditional market with the caveat that most people don't care about what things cost or their prices. They only care about what they're going to pay out of pocket. And consumers pay less than 15% of the bill in healthcare directly and indirectly. Most of those bills are paid indirectly. Uh, so you get a premium every month, but you don't know how much of that premium paid doctors or hospitals or drugs or devices. It's just, so transparency was kind of policy platform one. Let's make sure everything about the system is disclosed so people can buy intelligently. And there's a lot of reason to think that's uh, ideal in theory, but in practice, not going to work. Um, if you don't have a lot of money anyway, even what it costs out of pocket doesn't mean anything if you can walk in the emergency room and you're treated. So what the system has done historically is said, and there are laws that, that require that, uh, said we'll just let the system uh, charge some people more who have money so that we make up for what people without money don't pay. And somehow it'll all equal out and it gets even more complicated than that. So that's kind of policy platform one. The second is a, is a very interesting uh, twist on quote, Medicare for all or universal coverage or whatever you want to call it, which says, um, the simple answer for the system is to just set a rate for people who live in Phoenix or Chicago or Nashville or somewhere. And that's your money. That's a capitated amount of money that you will use to buy healthcare. And provider organizations or insurance organizations or payviders will compete to be your manager of those funds and will tell you how best to spend them. So that notion of managed consumption through some kind of a capitated payment or a global payment is the other policy platform. So one says it's a marketplace after all, so just make it all transparent. Uh, that's a very consumer-oriented view of this. The second is the system's too complicated, and it's always going to be changing, and drugs and technologies are going to make things more expensive. So we should basically set an amount of money that the system can afford and then let private organizations bid to manage those dollars. 
And that's the competing set of policies that are going to float around for at least the next couple of years. Let me ask you this, Paul. I mean, you're so, you know, again, we really appreciate your time here and your valuable insight uh, in, in, in going through this complicated area. It, it was complicated before, uh, you know, a lot of folks just when, when they hear about health insurance and where, who's paying and the, and the provider and the payer and now the payvider, it's great to have someone like you kind of crystallize it, if you will. So, so what about this? This is, is so important, obviously because of COVID, but there are so many differences in outcomes and health outcomes uh, because of COVID. From a financial standpoint, um, how do you make it all work? How, how, how long does it take to pay off? How, who is paying? Uh, how do we measure success when it comes to looking at it socially with all the differences in these outcomes? Yeah, um, that gets to the question of value, uh, the worthwhileness of dollars spent versus the outcome of what was spent. And the U.S., unlike other systems of the world, does not have a consistent formula for defining value. So outcomes, for instance, in this system are typically uh, viewed in short term, 60, 90 day readmission rates or complications from this or that. And the U.S. system has not looked at longer term outcomes. So I'd be better served, for instance, if I worked on a person's weight um, and the behavioral mental health components of weight management in lieu of doing a hip replacement for someone that has an excess of weight, knowing they're going to have that uh, have to be redone within a couple of years. All of that gets tangled up in over what period of time does the healthcare system define its value? So we'll have a national discussion like other countries have had around comparative effectiveness. And over what period of time do we look for ways to get better results and what role individuals play in that? And this is, Chris, to me, one of the frontiers for the future. When we move the system from a patient orientation that assumes people are simply inept or unable or ill-equipped to understand in the system to a person system that says people are able to make decisions if they have tools. So let's make the tools available, uh, tools, not rules, because people do act in their own best interest. So that's huge. And I, I think that's where the healthcare economy is going to face uh, real challenges because these disruptors that are coming in, bringing new models of health, don't begin with everybody's stupid. They start with the notion that people can make judgments if they have the tools. So, you know, not surprisingly, the Apples, the Amazons, the Microsofts are looking at uh, technology-enabled self-care. How do we make things available so you can be the decision-maker? I like that. Tools, not rules. Um, and finally, Paul, as we sort of wrap this thing up, speaking of tools or skills, when we're talking about leadership, um, 
how do you believe moving forward in this field, in the healthcare field in our country, we're going to, uh, what kind of leadership skills should, should folks have in the healthcare workforce, whether we're talking about C-suite or whether we're talking about frontline? Yeah, I am amazed at the work that's done on the healthcare workforce, the 19.8 million that work in our industry. And uh, the data shows two pretty compelling uh, facts about that. One is it's fast growing. The demand for the healthcare industry's workforce uh, exceeds its supply. We've got shortages. We've got to do something. But second, it shows that the healthcare workforce is risk averse. It's averse to change. Uh, that we're prone to hire people with one year of experience 10 times than someone with 10 years experience, or even go near someone with skill sets outside uh, our conventional boundaries. I've always worked in a hospital, et cetera. So um, I think leaders have to define talent differently. I think we have to look for competencies that don't exist in the C-suite today. And I think it means we have to have uh, more investment in workforce development. Uh, that's not just recruitment and retention, that's in their competency development. And that runs up and down the organization from the board all the way to the hourly employees. From a leadership standpoint, you've got to see the future. Uh, you've got to recognize culture eats strategy for lunch. Culture is kind of code for the way people function, what they expect from each other, what's accepted. And most of the time, our cultures are more about protecting yesterday than embracing tomorrow. So I think that's it keeps a CEO awake at night. You know, Paul, so many great little nuggets in there for our audience. Can I use uh, culture eats strategy for lunch? Can I use that moving forward if I attribute you? Oh, sure. <laughs> that was terrific. <laughs> that, that really no, was great. I see it so much. Um, I, I participate in strategy sessions and review growth strategies and this and that. But when the uh, you know rubber hits hits the road, it's about how you function day to day. Sure, you got to learn to adjust. It, it's it's adjustment. It's pivoting to where we are as a society, I guess. But the way you frame that, the way you you kind of put that, I, I, I love that. I love I that. I worry about. I worry about when I hear how soon till we return to the. Uh, normal to the new normal. That's the worst way to think about this. It's not a new normal. For any other industry, it's a destination that's different than where we've been in the past. It's not just a repackaging of what we did yesterday. It's a complete recapitalizing and reoperationalizing of a future in which everything we've talked about, value is defined in which people are playing a key role, in which the workforce is not defined by yesterday's rules for licensing or compensation, but tomorrow's competency-based requirements. That's different than where we've been. Well, I want to thank you, Paul Keckley. Uh, I learned a lot. I know our, our, our audience had to. Um, for all the insight, all the information on this important topic. Again, Paul is the managing editor of the Keckley Report. 
We look forward to seeing you at ACHE's Virtual Congress on Healthcare Leadership. That's March 22nd through the 25th. By the way, you can learn more and register at ache.org slash Congress. And folks, we'll see you next time on the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Paul, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You got it. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.